Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. We have a wonderful show for you today with a brilliant guest, talented musician, trumpet soloist, Mary Elizabeth Bowden joins the show. Classical trumpeter and gold medal Global Music Award winner Mary Elizabeth Bowden has been described by Gramophone Magazine as brilliant and radiant. A new repertoire for trumpet, Bowden is a Yamaha performing artist and is highly regarded for her artistry and her virtuosity as a soloist. And she's been praised for her clarity, purity, and power of her sound. She released her second album, Reverie, with the Casilla Ensemble and her debut album, Radiance, featuring new American works on Summit Records. Reverie was featured as one of the top albums of the year for the Global Music Awards, and she's been featured on MPR's new classical tracks. She is on the Allied Concert Services roster for spring 2021 to tour extensively with the Casilla Ensemble. In the 2019-20 season, Bowden gave the Spanish premiere performance of James McMillan's Seraf with the Orquesta Philharmonica de Gran Canaria at the Mas Palomas International Trumpet Festival in Gran Canaria, Spain. Additionally, she has had remarkable performances in Germany, France, and Russia. She's a founding member of both Seraf Brass and the Chris Chrysalis Chamber Players, a recipient of a Yale Alumni Grant. She began full-time college studies at the age of 14, receiving an associate degree from Joliet Junior College. Subsequently, she earned her Bachelor of Music degree from the Curtis Institute of Music, where she studied with the principal trumpeter of the Philadelphia Orchestra, David Bilger. She was awarded her Master of Music degree in 2006 from the Yale School of Music, where she studied on a full scholarship with trumpeter Alan Dean. On today's episode, Mary chats about when she first picked up the trumpet and how her music career was significantly influenced by her siblings. Mary chats about how she gets herself in the right mindset for performance, and also she reminisces on her many memorable performances and the ones that stand out the most. This was such an awesome conversation with Mary. Her talent is exceptional. I love the many different projects that she's involved with. She's a gifted musician, but is also a tremendous leader and advocate in her field, and she definitely brings out the best in her students. Thrilled for everyone to meet her. So let's go ahead and bring on trumpet soloist and recipient of the gold medal at the Global Music Awards, Mary Elizabeth Bowden, and let's learn. Where are your earliest musical influences, and do you remember your first experiences with the trumpet? I do. So my family is not musical. My parents love music, but they're not musicians. But my oldest brother, who's three years older, randomly decided to pick the trombone uh, when we were introduced to instruments in the fifth grade. And so he asked my parents, can I play the trombone? And he started that. And then my my brother, who's two years younger, picked the horn. And they had a brass teacher who came to the house every Saturday. And so I wanted to study with the same teacher. So I really wanted to play the French horn, but my brother wouldn't let me. So... I picked the trumpet and uh, studied with uh, this teacher and this particular teacher was trained as a professional horn player. He went to the Eastman School of Music, but he was working full time as a computer programmer. So he still had an unbelievable passion for music and loves teaching. Uh, And so he taught us every Saturday and would spend, he would give us like two hour lessons every week, each of us. And Uh, I recently was going through some old boxes and I found a ton of old programs from the Chicago area. He would 
buy us all tickets to go to hear the Chicago Symphony and all of these great brass concerts around the area. We must have gone to over a hundred concerts as kids with our teacher. And so I think if it wasn't for Tim Jones, I would not be a professional trumpet player, that's for sure. And so I have that that's how I got started. And so there was this built in competition with my brothers because they're there was a lot of teasing because I was three years younger, so my I had to always catch up to try to get to where they were level-wise, and so I think that really helped me just improve super fast, faster than most, I think. That's just fascinating. It's fascinating that to know that had your brother chose something different, you might end up with something different as well, but also that they influenced you in so many ways. And Tim Jones, thank you. Thank you, Tim Jones, for that. Other than Tim Jones, who outside of him, who were some of your earliest musical influences? Was there anyone that you aspired to be or anyone that you modeled your work after? In my younger years, um, it was mostly just hearing players in the Chicago Symphony. It was dur- during Bud Herseth's last years. He was the principal trumpet of Chicago Symphony for 50 years. And he had this incredible legacy. And so we just we grew up hearing those incredible performances from, from that orchestra and uh, but my favorite soloist was, uh, and still is to this day, a player named Sergei Nikaryakov. He is uh, still my favorite musician, and I love his performances, and I've been listening to his albums since I was 11 years old. And um, as, a, as a performer and professional, I finally got to meet him and become friends with him starting a couple of years ago at some festivals, and so that was really uh, just an amazing experience to you know, as an adult, be able to work alongside one of your childhood heroes. When did performing go from something you were just doing on the weekends, maybe go and do a few shows? When did it turn into something that, you know what, I'm pretty good at this, number one, and number two, I have a potential future in this? I think I had decided pretty early on, um, I remember having to draw career posters in like sixth grade, and you had to draw what you wanted to be when you grew up. And there was a mixture of people drawing things like people wanting kids and a family and things like that. And I drew a picture of me holding a cat and holding a trumpet. And which is hilarious because I love, I have cat, I have a little cat family with my husband and, (laughs) and he's also a professional trumpet player. Um, So uh, that, that was my, that became my life. And I was just very focused on that. And so uh, I actually have a very unconventional path as far as schooling. Um, One of the things I think that, why I'm able to do so many things and think outside the box was that this way of thinking started pretty early with my family. Uh, I convinced my parents to let me drop out of eighth grade um, because I didn't like the long days at school and I didn't really enjoy the particular band program that I was in. I felt like it was holding me back a little bit and I just wanted more time to practice and do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And I also realized that the classes that you take in high school here in the U.S., the gen eds are the same that you take when you go to college. You're just redoing them twice. And mm-hmm. that didn't sound super appealing to me. And I also, again, I wanted to make my own schedule and just have a ton more time to practice and control my schedule. So I was technically homeschooled for like two months, but um, I was uh, I immediately joined the community college when I was 14 and enrolled full time. You were supposed to be 16, but again, my family is a, a little group of uh, rule breakers. so. We, the counselor snuck me in and I was already like almost six feet tall. So she was like, just get good grades. You'll be fine. Um, don't tell anyone how old you are. And I was able to get my associate's degree at age 16 and a half. 
Um, and then also had that high school diploma that we called the Bowden School, but we just used the transcripts from uh, the community college. And, uh, and so that, that schedule allowed me to have that free time to practice a lot more, to be in a few different ensembles like the jazz band and also Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra. And I just didn't have that interest of going to school seven hours a day. And I know that works really well for some people, but I loved just the variety of choosing my own schedule, getting the classes done in a semester. And also my brothers did the same thing around the same time, but they were just in the middle of high school. And so we, the three of us actually got to go to school together. And I think that really solidified us as being friends at that age and just being able to have lunch together every day. So it was, it was a really special experience. Uh, towards the end of that time, this is kind of on an unrelated note, but it's kind of, it's interesting. My mom uh, did not go to college when she was younger. And so she saw the three of us doing that at a young age. And so she was like, I want to get my degree. So she, she enrolled in the community college. And so wow. during my last semester, she was just starting. And so then I would have lunch with my mom. And she went on to get her master's degree in English um, in her 40s. So it's just like this family transformation, I guess, during that time. This is something I'm sure if you were to do again, probably 10 times out of 10 or 100 times out of 100, you would do it again, right? Definitely, definitely. I admire that so much. It's so cool. It's profound. I love it. Mentally, how do you put yourself in the right frame of mind for a performance, especially in, in some of the larger halls? It, I find that performing is very similar to what I read about sports. And so one person who I really admire is, uh, his name is Don Green. And he was primarily a sports psychologist. And then he started working with musicians probably about 20 years ago. And since then, he's been teaching at Juilliard and the Colburn School over the years, and he's made some great connections between uh, getting ready for auditions or high-stress performances and what you need to do to take care of yourself before that, you know, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, taking care of your body, and also doing a lot of mental practice too. It's not just about the physical preparation, but it's also about getting in the mindset and doing mental rehearsals in your mind that are very, that are very detailed. Um, tapering. You don't want to be practicing four hours a day before a big concerto practice. Uh, and so I, if I have a big concerto performance coming up, I have to make sure that I'm like building steam and then the week before doing the tapering if I can with my schedule. And with the way that I practice, making sure that I'm building the correct muscle memory and not rushing through the process. So I do a lot of slow practice, creative practice, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really amazing how much of a connection there is to sports psychology. When you're performing, what's going through your mind or is anything going in your mind? Because when I've talked to other performers, artists, and even athletes, they're not thinking. And one cellist actually told me he had the feeling he was watching himself play. So when you're performing, what's the mentality? I think uh, thinking about the sound, in listening to my sound and also listening to the sound of the group that I'm playing with. And anything that I, that I play, even if I'm a soloist in front of an orchestra, I like to think of it as chamber music. So I feel like I'm with a team of people, not just myself with the orchestra behind me, but that we're all making music together. And I think that I definitely feel more comfortable when I feel like I'm working as a team, team with a group. Now, if I'm playing an unaccompanied solo, then I'm just really getting into the music and listening to my sound. But if you start thinking about how it feels or um, the minute you think about that, 
it goes downhill because the trumpet is an instrument that doesn't feel good every day most of the time. And so I really encourage my students to not get obsessed with like, oh, my my chops, you know, the embouchure feels puffy or I'm having trouble playing. That really doesn't matter because you can still make a really gorgeous sound when it doesn't feel good. Um, I've performed one of the hardest trumpet pieces, Box Brandenburg Concerto Number 2 with a, a migraine and almost passing out backstage, but I get on stage and I focus and I can play, still play a great concert. And usually the music takes the pain away for that half an hour or whatever I'm on stage. And I find that that's very uh, interesting as well, that I can really hyper-focus in the moment and not have an, ever have an excuse for a subpar performance. To many concert halls and stages all around the world thus far, what are the locations and performances that make you the most proud? I think, you know, early on, um, after I, just to mention this, the timeline here, after I did the community college thing, I spent a gap year doing a full-time customer service job, which helped me with uh, having skills as an entrepreneur later in, in my 20s. But then I, uh, at age 18, I went to the Curtis Institute of Music, which is one of the most competitive schools to get into in the world. There's only four trumpeters in the studio, and I was lucky enough to get in, and that orchestra is probably one of the best orchestras I'll ever play with. I mean, there's so many famous musicians that have come out. I was in the same years as Yuja Wang and Long Long, and it's just incredible people to play with. I'll always remember those years and, and treasure those years. Um, but outside of school, um, after Yale, and uh, as a professional, um, I think the best, the most memorable hall, um, last year, the most recent would be last year, right before lockdown, Um, I performed in this theater called the Warner Theater in Erie, Pennsylvania, and it was the premiere of a new concerto that I had commissioned from composer Vivian Fung, and it was a project that I had started about a year and a half before that where I got nine orchestras to join a consortium to pay her fee, and Erie Philharmonic was the lead orchestra in that project, and so this was the world premiere of something that I had spent so many hours organizing and getting orchestras involved, and so it was just a really proud moment, and then the world shut down. Um, In previous years, uh, there's a really beautiful hall in Lucerne, Switzerland, the KKL, and I was lucky enough to do about six weeks in residence there over over a few years. Um, And my favorite concert was uh, performing as principal trumpet on Mahler's Sixth Symphony with Pierre Boulez conducting. Um, I felt fortunate to be in the last years before he stopped conducting, uh, and I just, just playing under him was just such a, such a thrill. I guess the third one would be just performing in Finland at the Lieksa Brass Week. Um, it's, it's a really nice community of people run by a, a trumpet soloist, Yoko Haryana, who I really love, and um, it's just a wonderful community of, of brass players, and I love traveling too, so. Wow, well, you've been to some amazing places. First thoughts that come to mind when you think of Lucerne, Switzerland, because that's one of the most gorgeous places I've ever visited. First thing that comes to mind, I just think of that bridge and just the vibe of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I love the city. I just love walking around and s- sitting by the water. And yeah, I definitely miss, I, I can't wait to go back there. I, my last trip, um, we ventured into the Alps and went into the, the Vengen re- region and went to Jungfrau. And I want to, I want to do more of that. I want to go to more mountains. <laughs> Outside of performing, you are an entrepreneur with several different projects. 
What are the details for Seraph Brass, Chrysalis, Chamber of Players, Apex Trumpet Symposium, Dash Duo, and in collaboration with the Cassia Ensemble? So Seraph Brass was an idea that I had. Um, you know, when I was in school at Curtis and Yale, I was very focused on being an orchestral trumpeter. I was told the only way to make a living as an American trumpeter is to win an orchestral job. And I really wanted to be a soloist, but I, I just didn't think it was possible. And uh, so I was down that orchestral path for a while, um, which I'm really grateful for because I love that music and it makes me a better teacher now. And I play in orchestras here and there for fun, and I, st I still love it a lot. Um, but in my late 20s, I was wanting to do a career shift. You know, you think about people who do career pivots, and this was one of those moments where I decided to, to take a complete left turn and try to be a trumpet soloist at age 27. Uh, you know, you see a lot of soloists start much younger. Um, I was already playing very difficult solos when I was a teenager, and so I had the solo rep, you know, in my chops. I just was not pursuing that. So I went down this path of really pursuing being a soloist and was getting more concertos, putting all the pieces together and contacts together to get uh, recital performances and each year was building on that. So during those years when I was building, um, after I recorded my first album, I was thinking about forming a group that featured all women brass players. Mm. And it had been going through my mind probably since I found some old, an old notebook from 2006 and I had a brainstorm of it then even. So I finally was able to, uh, brave enough to start the group in 2014 and found a group of women to collaborate with. And so over the years, the personnel's changed a bit because we keep, keep getting more and more opportunities and concerts and people have to be available to go on the road. Uh, and so now we've, we have a nice collective of women that tour. Uh, Pre-COVID, we were doing about 60 concerts a year around the world. And uh, I just found that it's been a really great way to, to travel and to play great music. You know, we get a lot of our own arrangements made for the group that are tailored to our uh, strength, strengths. And we commission new works highlighting women composers. And so it's just, it's just a really great, uh, I, I love giving opportunities to other women and collaborating with different composers. So it's, it's, it's a really fun organization. But I'm the leader of it, so I have to do all the fun stuff like the financial spreadsheets mm. and organizational stuff that goes along with that. So... I'm the executive director and the performer, which is quite uh, a lot to, to handle. Um, so, and then the other group, Chrysalis Chamber Players, um, we're sort of on hiatus because of the pandemic. And we are a group that's flexible on the roster. So each concert will be a different group of instruments. So it might be trumpet and harp or trumpet, flute and piano or trumpet and strings. And uh, that just, I, I formed that group um, back in 2010 with a friend who plays flute just to give myself more experience as a soloist and it's become a special group where I can play new works and play things just play music that I really want to play and try out and I'm really tied into the Naples community because my husband and I lived there for nine seasons and so there's there's just a lot of concert series there and I'm able to cultivate a few different uh, performances throughout the years. So that's that's just a fun little side project now. And then uh, Dash Duo is of course with my husband, David Dash. Uh, we play two trumpets, recitals with two trumpets and piano. And I've brought him in on my next collaboration with the Cassia Ensemble. This is an all women group from Pittsburgh. Um, 
and they collaborated with me on my last album with trumpet strings and harp and I wanted to find a group that would tour with me and I wanted to get new pieces commissioned and arranged and go on the road and so these we were supposed to go on the road this February but now it's next February we're going on a five-week tour around uh, cities all around the Midwest uh, which I love I did the yeah. same tour with Serif Brass and it just reminds me of my childhood because my dad used to take us on these summer vacations and we would drive up through South Dakota and Montana from Chicago. We'd always drive in our van. And so just all those Midwest drives, I personally love and I find them very nostalgic. Uh, so I, I can't wait to do that again. And then finally shifting to the Apex Trumpet Symposium. So during COVID times, we've had to make some shifts in the career um, because there's not, the performance opportunities are just not there or they're just different. So I've done some live streams that I cultivate and then share later. We record in a hall and then broadcast it later. But there's, those are just a couple of them. You know, it's not like we can't really leave the area and do things yet. Uh, so we decided to form, uh, my husband and I and our one of our best friends, Nathan Warner, This we wanted to give students around the world an opportunity to study with us and also other famous trumpeters. And so we cultivated an eight week course last semester, which was two classes a week over Zoom. And this, this spring, we're now in the last week of our 10 week course. And we've brought in amazing players. Like we have John Faddis this coming weekend. We had Sergei Nikaryakov and um, we just had such a, a great roster of um, guest artists, and then we help the students track their goals, and we give them uh, private instruction as well, and it's, we've just really created this new community of trumpet players, trumpet students who are all really excited, and they're, they're really excited that we're planning an in-person one for the summer after next. So um, I think it's something that will probably be around for a long time and we would not have created it if COVID had happened. It just, we would not have had the time to do that. So um, that's one of the interesting things about these times as a performer is, you know, who's thinking outside the box and creating, even though we can't be on the road, I'm used to living out of my suitcase most of the year. And then all of a sudden I had a year in my house, which is very unusual. I've liked it. It's it's different, but it, and it's nice. But I'm I'm completely used to traveling all the time. So um, instead, I've been creating these various projects. I did a video this summer with 80 women brass players from around the world, um, which is pretty epic. We launched it through our Serif Brass page. Um, so I've been cultivating some uh, virtual videos, um, and I've done about 50 different master classes all around the world from right here. <laughs> so I've met, made a lot of new friends that I think that will help with connections once the world reopens, then there's just a whole new list of brand new connections that would have not have happened if I yeah. didn't have the yeah. Well, fantastic. You have a lot of different projects going on and it's amazing to hear how you can take something like the pandemic and can inspire innovation to find new opportunities. You were also a professor at Shenandoah Conservatory. What have you learned from teaching that you wish you knew earlier in life? I never thought I would be a teacher, which is very interesting to look back on. When I was at the conservatory at Curtis, I remember telling myself and others, I, I never want to teach. I have no interest in teaching. I just want to perform. And then when I was out of graduate school and in the Richmond Symphony, 
uh, I needed to teach to make some more money and I was offered the adjunct position at Virginia Commonwealth University and so I said yes because I needed the money and I was scared to teach but I threw myself into it and then I really started to enjoy it and so I, got, I think my advice to students is don't label yourself. Uh, I encourage all of my students to think outside the box. Don't put labels on yourself. You don't know what doors are going to open or what you might be drawn to in the future because teaching has become a big part of my life and the trumpet community is uh, a community that's different than other instruments I feel because everyone's so excited about the learning. I think trumpet players have had the most online uh, master classes happen than any other instrument that I've seen on social media and um, you can see all these mouthpieces behind me on the screen here there's about 50 right there we're just dorks about our instruments and we love trying new things and learning from each other even the professionals we play for it's like we're we're all life learners and I love that about the trumpet community and um, so I encourage my students to stay curious um, you know you don't have to just be an orchestra player or just be a soloist. You could, that there's nothing wrong with that, but I think the versatility for me has made me better at the different things. Now I'm actually a much more confident orchestral player now that I'm primarily primarily a soloist. I feel much more comfortable sitting down at second trumpet and playing the quiet low notes, whereas when I was just doing orchestra work, I wasn't as comfortable, but now I feel completely comfortable. And so I think that the versatility is not a bad thing like we were told, like that I was told 20 years ago. I think it actually helps make musicians more well-rounded. And I think coming out of the pandemic with orchestras in trouble in this country, I think it's important for musicians to be as versatile as they can. And I don't think that diminishes quality. There's so many great musicians I know who can play many different styles. And I think that just helps raise their own level and it makes them more interesting artists. With all the changes over the last year, there's a lot you've learned performing, but just also just in life. What do you feel is the biggest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? I think what I've learned is that I cannot say yes to everything. I, you know, right before the pandemic hit, I literally said that I wanted the world to stop so mm -hmm. I could sleep. I didn't mean a pandemic, but I was, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm close to 40, so I don't have that. I have a ton of energy, but I think that, uh, I think that I need to be more careful with just wanting to do every single thing every day. Yeah. Um, right before the pandemic hit, I think I had was doing a concert literally every other day. So I didn't feel like I had quite enough time to cram in the practicing. I was practicing a lot, but there was, there was like four overlapping programs, which I can handle, but I would like a little bit more space to like actually, you know, do some yoga or read a book. Um, so I, I think that I'm just going to be a little bit, if, if for, for me to say, don't say yes to everything, like that might mean turning one or two things down, but that'll be a start at least so I can, uh, you know, work on being, being a human. And I think that with touring, I, I'm usually pretty good about that because I always build in exploring the area when I tour. I'll, I'll tag on, if I can, I'll tag on an extra day or two to, to, to look around the area and go on a hike and just check out the community. Um, that's one of the biggest things I miss about traveling because that actually felt like my downtime. Well, you definitely have a full plate, but I'm excited that once everything gets back into moving forward in, in, a, in an idyllic situation to see 
what you have next. How can people stay up to date and, and follow your career? You can follow me on my website, marybowden.com, also on the social media platforms. My favorite one is Instagram. I'm marytrpt there. And from there, from the link tree, you should be able to find all the other pages like YouTube and everything. And stay tuned for next season. I the, Hopefully the eight concertos that I had planned that got canceled will be rescheduled over the next two seasons. And there's a concerto album with orchestra being planned right now and another side project of unaccompanied pieces for another album. So there's exciting things on the horizon. It's just going to take some time with COVID, but I am optimistic that people will be anxious to hear music as soon as we're able to do that. I know they will. I know they will. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Well, I hope we chat again, but uh, thank you so much for today. Awesome. Stay in touch. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Mary. Be sure to give her a follow on social media, Mary TRPT on Instagram, and subscribe to her YouTube channel, Mary Elizabeth Bowden. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento.